Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode 273. Today's show is brought to you by PDF Pen from Smile, Linode, Moo, and FreshBooks. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by Jason Snell. Hello, Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. How are you? I am fine and dandy, my friend. Big show today. Lots of stuff Huge. going on. Giant. Massive. But we start off with uh, a hashtag Snell Talk question from our listener, Upgradian Troy, who says... Do you, gentlemen, or Jason, I guess we'll start with Jason. Do you, Jason, put your AirPods in at the same time or one at a time? Is this a trick question? <laughs> I saw this question and I was like, there's obviously only one way. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, well, I guess there are both ways. But to me, there is only one way. I am assuming that you are like me. So I think that the, the concept here that, that, uh, that Troy's talking about, about putting them in simultaneously, is you would, you would extract both from the case, put mm-hmm. the case down, mm-hmm. and then you'd do a kind of like, I don't know, Mission Impossible kind of thing of like, synchronize, you know, boo, and yeah, then they go in. That is not what I do. I open the, I, I, I pick up the case, I flip it open, I, I'm holding it in my left hand. I take my right hand and I pull out the right earbud and stick it in my ear. Oh, you got then right first. Okay. my right hand takes the case, pulls out the left earbud, sticks it in my left ear. That's how it works. I hope that was exciting. I will. Uh, uh, I don't know which pant leg I put on first, but I I know which earpod AirPod thingy I put in my ear first. The right one. Yeah, I'm with you. I think I'm left and then right, but like one at a time. But I see how you could do two like at the same time i'm assuming that troy does both which is why troy would even fathom to ask this question he's tom cruise he's ethan hunt he's james bond he's doing both at once and he's like super cool about it but i put my airpods in uh one leg at a time like everyone else yeah Yeah. (laughs) if you would like to send in a a hashtag snow talk question to open the show just send out a tweet with the hashtag snow talk and it may be considered for future openings. Uh, thanks so much to Troy for sending that in. We have some uh, follow-out mostly today. Um, yep. Jason has some grievances and yep. would like mm-hmm. to air them. So, Jason, over to you. I've been listening to podcasts this last week, and I realized well, that, we're, good. That, we're, that we're missing out. Yeah, technology podcasts. You might be familiar with them. And I've been realizing we're missing out. I mean, also, broadly, I've got lots of ideas, Mike. We should talk about it sometime. Other ways that we can like improve the show by... Uh, adapting things that work for other podcasts more more generally. But I'm going to leave that there for now, and instead I'm going to focus <laughs> I on... I can't tell if you are burning or if this is all just a bit. Like, I can't... I'm not sure where we're going with this. Uh, it might be a bit. Anyway, the... Uh, <laughs> but among the things that, that I listened to this week and I thought, boy, why don't we do that on our podcast? I just always thought that was out of bounds, and yet they're talking about it for all of this time, and people seem to be interested in it. So... ATP, the Accidental Tech Podcast, the Lifetime Upgrady Award winner for uh, favorite tech podcast, mm-hmm. uh, did an episode where the entire after show was basically a, a uh, it was preparing the way was the refrigerator episode of uh, Re- Reconcilable Differences. This ATP episode 353, they talked about John preparing the way for his Mac Pro that he hasn't bought yet because you can't buy one yet, but he's already prepping his workspace and he's going into details about like, I had this folding table and I'm going to replace our tray table. I'm going to replace it with a real table. And I've got this power strip that I'm replacing. And here's the model of that. And let's talk about upright UPSs and uh, the difference between the power strippy ones and the upright ones. And, and I thought to myself, I've spent the last two months reorganizing my office space to, 
because after five years, I decided it needed to be, uh, you know, refreshed. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I've spent very much time at all talking about it. And then I hear John Syracuse spend like 20 minutes talking about uh, like power strips. There's one important thing to remember here, Jason, which is the Syracuse effect. John could read a phone book and people would listen, including me. The world is enwrapped by the idea of what particular short extension cords John is using in his power strip. I understand. But what I'm saying is... Maybe we should get in on that action, you and me. Maybe we need to to up our game a little okay. bit in in terms of uh, uh, talking about like office supplies and having people be interested. Uh, well, I already do that. It's called the pen addict. Uh, oh. I I don't want to say we would be upping our game. I would say that we would at best be sidewaysing our game. <laughs> I, I, well, actually, we could use the re- the same prepositions here. So we would be outing our game because it's another yeah. podcast. Yeah. If if it was if it was upping our game, it would be follow up. It would be from our previous episode. But this is exactly. follow out, so we would be outing our game. Or maybe we could just create a completely new paradigm Ooh, for a show segment. I like I like new paradigms. Let's do it because John likes those. So mm, yeah, we should create one of those for when. You and then just everybody will have to give us credit, and then just uh, uh, use it as your own. Yeah, that's a good idea. I like it. So anyway, what I'm saying is my. My the big wall in my office is orange now. <laughs> okay, that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. Let me tell you. I have a blue wall. I want a whole segment about paint colors. We can talk about shopping for paint. I went through so many samples of paint before arriving on the right paint color. Less interested in paint colors. What you got um, next? Uh, you know, I got, I got, uh, I got power supplies. I had to buy some of those little cords too. So I, um, I realized that I had an area of my of my office where the um, there were going to be like five cords running across a run of carpet where mm-hmm. one could theoretically walk. And I th- I looked at it and I was like, that looks really. That's not like not just does it look bad, but like that looks like a horrendous accident that not only makes me fall and break a a, a bone but potentially pulls equipment off of my desk and shatters it, right? And I had this whole thing of like, well, how am I going to make this work? And I have an adjustable desk, so you can't just uh, lock it down at the bottom level because then you press the button and and take the to standing height and everything tears apart. That's no good. Um, So I I ended up like, there's a, uh, (laughs) am I I really going to mention products here? I found, so I have a, um, I have a, a carpet that actually is basically like uh, Velcro. Velcro will stick to my carpet. And so I found a cable run thing on Amazon that is is Velcro and fabric. And it's a very similar color to my carpet. And, and so instead of having one of those like tubes that you lay down and run cables on so people don't trip on the cables and they trip on this, the tube instead, right? Like that's what those that's are what made you for. Trip on. You want to trip on the tube and not the cables that are in well, the tube. Well, because see, that's the thing. The, the trippable situation, that's actually not to protect you. It's to protect no, the camera, No, to protect right? the cables. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. You so, can still trip. But so no one cares about that. Ex- exactly. So I uh, I got one of those, and that actually really worked. Um, except then, then I discovered that uh, with the cables pinned down, which is good, rather than having trip wires across my office, then uh, it didn't reach the UPS unless I pulled the UPS out. And now I've got a big ugly like power strip that's in the way. So uh, I went on Amazon. I did buy some of those, you know, 
one meter cables that have they they do work if you are uh, have a, a tightly clustered bunch of uh, things and you've got bricks and they don't fit on the power strip. Like they do work for that, but in my case, I literally just needed to get them to be a little bit longer and reach out to the UPS so I could put them all underneath this fabric thing. And I did it and it and it works and it looks pretty great. And I bought all of this cable management stuff that I've never really done good cable management, but uh, I bought it with this desk that I got and the uh the desk is great. The cable management actually looks pretty good. I have a uh yeah, it, it's it's coming along. I, I've painted two of the walls, but I've got two more walls to paint, which are the more utilitarian walls in the garage. They're more garagey walls, which means they're full of junk and covered with stuff, and I'm going to have to do a lot of cleaning to to paint that part. But it's it's shaping up, and uh, and I did have to buy a bunch of stuff. And the best part, Mike, because I will move on from this now, because um, I haven't prepared enough Amazon links to talk about all these products that I bought, because uh, that's how you prepare the way. Is have the way for an affiliate. Sam. Yeah, yeah. So it's you know I still haven't assembled everything back together. I still haven't hung the stuff on the walls. Uh, but I will say that that as a part of this, I got to. So I had two different segments of my office in terms of like networking. I had like the stuff that was over by the door to the rest of the house, and and because I have a TV over there, I had a bunch of like video game consoles and stuff. And I had, that's where, as I bought like new smart home things that required little hubs, like the, the Hue hub and my Caseta wireless uh, switch has a little hub. I, I had to plug those in somewhere. So I ended up with this whole cluster of things over by the door where there was a big power strip and there was a bunch of video game consoles. And then there were all of these little things that needed to be connected to Ethernet, which means I needed an Ethernet hub. And one of the things that was nice is I completely changed where the stuff is in my office. So... All of the networking stuff is really in the corner over here to my left. Um, I got to, I had to buy uh, some longer Ethernet cords, and um, I don't think I bought any hubs or anything. I, I think I, I the net result was that I ended up with a an Ethernet hub that I wasn't using anymore, and a bunch of cables I wasn't using anymore, which is really nice because I think the truest sign of a successful teardown and re hookup of uh of your stuff is when you when you discover you don't need all the parts that you used to use um i relocated a bunch of the hubs to well, i mean it depends if you're doing that to your washing well, machine it, that's it, a bad no but bad. if it all still works and uh, you end up with like five extra cables you're like what what were these plugged into why were they there and and the answer is they probably weren't plugged in mm-hmm. and weren't being used because they were being used for something that you ripped out but you left the cable Anyway, so I relocated a bunch of my smart home hubs to uh, the corner of my living room where I already had an Ethernet hub and a couple of things plugged in. And uh, the only network device that's... There are like two network devices that are over by the uh, by the the door to the rest of the house. So it's not a big technology thing there. I actually relocated the, uh, the video game console to in the house as well. Um, and yeah, so it's... it's uh, it, what I'm saying is, um, every five years or so, you should tear apart your office and put it back together again. I'm about to do that, but I don't know what I want to do yet. Like, I know I need to destroy my office and rebuild it stronger and better and faster than before, um, but I haven't worked out exactly what I want to do. The only thing I know is that I want to. I have two desks in the office, and has my gaming PC on it. I want to have that do double duty. And also be like a permanent place that I can plug my uh, 
my iPad into and have a keyboard monitor and mouse that's always there, really like perfect, uh, re- perfectly ready for me if I want to do like fixed iPad work, which is something oh, that yeah. I do do and I was doing today. Which is which is the stuff where I end up going, like walking out into my kitchen, which yeah. I can't do this week because my son's off for Thanksgiving this week. So that I can only do it when there's nobody in the house, really. Or mm-hmm. although he is a 15 year old boy, he basically stays in his room. So I, I maybe I could work out there. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way. Speaking of things that that uh, we should consider for for uh, stealing from other podcasts, yes, uh, you just you just made a six million dollar man reference there. I did, and um, you know, uh, you know, there's no upgrade references. Twitter account is there? There isn't. We need to make more pop culture references that are cryptic. I don't want to do those because you are so inaccurate. many. I know none of them. It doesn't work when it's just uh, you know everything and I know nothing. When you've got what two do you people mean? That That's exactly the dynamic of ATP. Right, is that Syracuse knows all the references and they people. don't. You know, and then they can fight. Like, I haven't got somebody to fight with about how few references that I know. All right. A- all, anyway, talking for 10 minutes about nonsense, also a thing I picked up from other podcasts. I feel really good about it. Um, I, so, feel, I feel like I'd be ashamed here. Well done. Um, oh, not yet, because I haven't even mentioned last week's episode of Connected, which had <laughs> okay. like 40 chapter markers in it and was yeah. largely a podcast about three gentlemen from all over the world loading web pages and reading them on their computers while say, they were doing a podcast. You just did that, right? Like there was, a, there was a bunch of websites that you just went to and looked at products, and I'm not including literally any of them in the show notes. Absol- absolutely not. So I, you I have didn't... learned well. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't know, look at a web page once when I was doing that. I was staring at my office while I was. We doing just all we that. just recorded a time when Apple decides to release battery cases. What do you want from us? You know. Yeah. Anyway, my my point there is that uh, you and I need to up our. I feel like on this podcast, Again. up our accessory game in Sideways. some way. Sideways the game. Yeah. Okay. Because it's uh you know like pop sockets, uh more pop socket talk from you. I think I drove I drove you away with my. <clears throat> let's say lack of interest in pop sockets. Yeah, you you only have yourself to blame with this one, right? Like foldable phones. Yeah, folda- pop foldable sockets. phones. Well, I regret nothing about the foldable phones, but pop sockets, yes, uh cases. I mean, then I I do realize that we we did spend a lot of time talking about iPad stands and keyboards. So, maybe that's our our bailiwick is iPad stands. Yeah, and I want to find a new one. But yeah. Yeah, mine failed, so I'm also looking for a better iPad stand. Anyway, at least there's uh, at least we do merch like other podcasts. That's a place where we're already um, keeping pace. So. At UpgradeYourWardrobe.com. That's there's right. Currently registering domain available. names. We're also pretty strong with registering oh, domain names. Oh, I have names. another one for you in a minute. I know. Don't you worry I about know. that. Uh, UpgradeYourWardrobe.com. We have uh, the original Dongletown merchandise is available, Orange and Navy. Also, the new uh, Dongletown Butterflies team. You support your local sports team. We've had some great suggestions yeah. for what the Dongletown Butterflies could be. Yeah, I, I don't know why we didn't assume that it was Brain Ball, which somebody mentioned. It's probably Brain Ball. Probably, but we have yet to confirm or deny if it's Brain Ball. Yeah. Uh, Federico sent me a good suggestion, actually. Um, what was it? He said that yeah. uh, competitive piano because it's all key based. Mm, interesting. So that's one we've had debate team. I've seen a couple of times. You know, there's, there's dodgeball, all sorts. How about competitive adapting, like what uh, Stephen Hackett did on uh, his video last week? Competitive mm-hmm. adapting, where you're given, or like the escape room that we did yep. at WWDC, you're given a box of dongles, and you have to box create of dongles, a mega dongle. And you got to connect this thing to this thing, and you got to just put it all together. Maybe that's a sport in Doggletown. 
Maybe it is. Who knows? Dongletown is a wonderful place. You can support the Dongletown Butterflies or the local port authority by going to UpgradeYourWardrobe.com. Upgrade Hoodie is available too. It's great for the cold winter months. Uh, UpgradeYourWardrobe.com and you can buy that merchandise right now. Uh, We still have more follow-up, don't we, Jason Snell? Uh, Yeah, I guess we do. Just a a really quick one, which is... um we talked about last week the idea that maybe Apple could be a little more open about its future product directions rather than just saying we don't discuss anything uh, when you've got a crisis and you're trying to defuse it. Uh, and I think I would say that the keyboards is a PR crisis. Um, when you announce the product that's got the new keyboard in it, you could put your foot on the gas or your some extra weight on the scales or I don't know what the right metaphor is here and do a kind of a wink wink nudge nudge to say you know this is a great keyboard we expect to use it in future versions and basically like say this is our keyboard going forward yes you know please end this and I I got I feel like we mentioned this in the episode but I definitely got feedback from people who said but they can't ever announce anything about future products because of the Osborne effect which is this famous uh, story from the early days of the personal computer industry where if you announce a replacement for a product uh, sales of that product will cease and that will hurt your company Um, and that is an issue which I would say I'm not advocating that Apple announce a new 13-inch or 14-inch MacBook Pro today or last week. Um, I'm not advocating that. But I don't know if a wink and a nod saying, you know, this is going to be our our keyboard on future laptops too and leave it at that would really kill future sales any worse than all of the bad reputation that Apple is building up. And, and I think that's the counter argument is the damage done by the perception that Apple's keyboards are bad. Could they start repairing it sooner by being a little more open about how like, yeah, you know, we're, we are, uh, this, this is a great leap forward and we expect that it will come to all of our products. And, you know, they could even use it as a way to spin the existing keyboard if they, and this is the challenge is they would need to actually have data Damn. that they could say truthfully. Uh, which is thank you. Uh, that's a reference. Um, <laughs> reference is acknowledged. <laughs> see, right Are we there. Just a tribute act today. Yeah, I think so. Okay. We're playing the hits anyway. Here's Wonderwall. Um, <laughs> so uh, they could, if they have data that shows that the new materials, butterfly keyboards that they introduced this year, are are actually more reliable and stable and people like them more they could even roll that in there and say you know with this now we've got two sets of keyboards that keyboard designs in 2019 that have really upped our game in terms of stability and happiness of users and they could use it as a selling point of like see we figured it all out i i you know and also i will say i don't know if a wink and a nod is going to really move sales that much in uh terms of the fact that the only people who are looking for phil schiller's winks and nods are us the you know, computer nerdy types and less the general public. But anyway, I, I I acknowledge that that's what motivates Apple not to talk at all about future products. But this seems like an extreme circumstance where maybe they could have uh, given it a little more of a, a a wink and a nod. I would have taken that a Santa Claus like uh, wink and a nod. There appears to be some kind of Apple media event on December 2nd. Uh, some invites have gone out. Only Lance Ulanoff shared the invite. Lance Ulanoff was not supposed to share the invite. No, he was not. Um, that it's happening in New York next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. It looks to be an award ceremony for apps. Um, we're not going to be drafting, in case anybody was wondering. No, it, I'll tell you what it's going to be. It is. It is Apple's annual press release 
where their in-house editorial people have picked the best and top uh, apps and stuff of the year mm-hmm. um, turned into an event. So it is it is a press release turned into an event. And I suppose you could argue that all of Apple's media events are a press release turned into event. But what I would say, I don't want to be too harsh here, but like this is a press release I don't pay very close attention to turned into an event. So mm-hmm. great. It's a, again, you know, it's great. People who get named on that list are super into it. And why would you not? I think the show's... Yeah. Apple like marketing the heck out of their stuff is like, well, you know, apps of the year. Why don't we make more of that? And the, so somebody was like, all right, let's do a little thing in New York and uh, we'll have a red carpet and we'll have apps and everybody will, you know, it's a good promo for buying Apple stuff over the holidays and let's do it. So that seems to be what it's going to be. And, you know, that's fine. We all know there's only one awards ceremony of the year that anybody should care about anyway. Right, Jason? I yes, that's exactly right. Only one award ceremony in uh, at the end of the year merits your attention, friends. The Upgradies, the Upgradies mm. are coming. The Upgradies award ceremony will be broadcast live from our independent homes on December the thirtieth. Uh, two thousand and nineteen. So you can come and listen along live if you want to. But the uh, nominations, the voting is now open. If you go to our wonderful new URL, which is Upgradies vote. So you go to upgradies.vote. You will be able to find the Google form to allow you, the Upgradian, to have an impact on who may take home Upgradies this year. Uh, We're bringing back all of our categories except for one. There's going to be no award for my favorite Mike at the Movies this year because we've only done one. We've one more to be done later on today. So it kind of seemed like a strange one to keep in. Everything else is there. Um, Go in, give us your answers to the questions. Um, Remember, the Upgradies are not a democracy. We use the Upgradians' votes to help influence who will win. Uh, Sometimes it goes to whoever the Upgradian picked, because me and Jason don't have strong feelings about a category. Or we use your votes as a way to help us decide on who should win. So that's upgradies.vote. Fill out the form. Uh, Voting will be open for a a number of weeks throughout December until it gets to the (laughs) point where there's so many, as there were last year, that I have to close it down because I need to total up those answers, which is a very, very complicated process when people write in their own text what they want the winners to be. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult to collate. But go to upgradies.vote and you can cast your votes right now for the sixth, sixth Annual Upgrady Awards. I checked. Sixth. It's sixth. Yeah. Sixth. Yeah. You have a hard time saying sixth, don't you? Turns out. Turns There's out. an extra S in there. Sixth. sixth. Slytherin. I mentioned yeah. Mike at the movies. We're uh, going to be doing Die Hard at the end of the episode today, so you can look out for that. Yippee-ki-yay, Mike Podcaster. <laughs> Indeed. And that's the only way it's going to be said. Today's show is brought to you by PDF Pen from Smile. PDF Pen 11 is the ultimate tool for editing PDFs on the Mac. It is ready for macOS Catalina, so you'll still be able to view and edit your PDFs when you take the Catalina plunge. I guess as ready as any app can be for Catalina, right? Is <laughs> PDF Pen 11 is ready for it. PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone supports iOS 13 and iPad OS 13 as well. This includes features like dark mode, multiple windows, and so much more. And you can even use your iPad or your iPhone to scan documents directly into PDF Pen on your Mac using Continuity Camera. It's one of the only applications I've ever used that 
that takes use of continuity camera. It's a very slick process. And if you're looking for a way to make PDF forms, you need PDF Pen Pro. Learn more about PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro right now at smilesoftware.com slash podcast. If you do any work with PDFs, you need PDF Pen. Go to smilesoftware.com slash podcast. Go check it out right now. And thanks to PDF Pen for their support of this show and Relay FM. I should mention that Upgradies.com exists. It's the website that we built last year. If you're interested in getting some inspiration for your Upgradies votes, uh, then you can go to Upgradies.com. You can see every winner of every Upgradie in history. Right, Jason Snell? That's right, Mike Hurley. Okay, we have a topic that I want to talk about today that I am more keen to talk about uh, than Jason, which is because it's political-based. <laughs> And I want to talk about it. And it's these things tend to be. I mean, it's one of the cardinal rules, right, of podcasting. Um, is what is you, it? It's you don't. Well, it's the time to talk about. I hear politics. that Pod Save America is really successful. Should we steal some things from them? Well, let's just say, <laughs> unless you're a political podcast. How know? about Romaniacs? I like Romaniacs. That's a good podcast. We could steal uh, some stuff from them. I don't want to steal. I don't listen to political podcasts, but I'm turning ours oh, into right. one right now. I want to talk about okay. Tim Cook, Donald Trump, and the Mac Pro. Okay. All right. So. I have a bunch of stuff to say, uh, then we're going to talk about it a bit more in general. Does that sound fair? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So last week, as part of promotion for Apple announcing that they were opening a new campus in Austin, which they have, we'd heard about before, but they were kind of confirming and giving some architectural overviews and stuff. Uh, for, for, for that, Tim Cook gave Donald Trump a tour around their Mac Pro manufacturing facility that is also located in Austin. This facility is owned by a company called Flex, who were previously known as Flextronics. They're an American manufacturing company that's headquartered in Singapore, but they are an American company uh, at heart, I believe, is what Wikipedia could tell me anyway. Uh, Flex has been manufacturing from uh, the Mac Pro for Apple since 2013, so it started with the trash can, um, and they are continuing for the new machine. Uh, I had a question. I posed this question mm-hmm. on Connected. I did a little bit more research, but I've been able to find a definitive answer about this facility in general is are all mac pros made there or are just u.s mac pros made right there? is there another mac pro factory somewhere else that we don't know about and this may be reason for you to buy a mac pro mike so you can look at so the I can find bottom out. of the can and see what it uh see <laughs> see what it <laughs> for what research it is purposes I, i'll point uh yeah that's right it's it's for your work i uh, that's a reference so uh, see, we're doing it here. We're we doing all the references okay. today. See? We are doing see? it. We don't have to do it. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Okay. Um, I'll, yeah, since 2013, and I think this is a point as we get into like what Apple does for to pander to American politics, I think this is an important point, right? Mm-hmm. This factory making the Mac Pro was, I mean, we could argue it, but like the, in 2013, which is before the current administration... Apple was already pandering to American politics where they were being criticized for making all their products in China. And so they set up this one thing. This was a political move that Apple did for the world at large, right? Well, for Americans at large. It's like a fig leaf uh, over Apple's uh, production of devices. The the design in California wasn't working because they knew it was made in China, even though it was designed in California. And so they did this in 2013. They set up this factory and said, look at us. We're doing manufacturing in the USA. 
um, even though it's a very low volume, high margin product. And there were all sorts of stories about how there were a lot of issues, but they they have kept at it and they're making the new Mac Pro at this facility, the Flex. Yeah, uh, Flextronics facility. The most I could find is in Apple's uh, press release where they said that they were making this device uh, in Austin again. Is that they said that the new Mac Pro will include components designed, developed, and manufactured by more than a dozen American companies for distribution to U.S. customers. Now that says one thing, doesn't say the other thing. Um, one could read that that is purely like if you're ordering in America, it comes from there. But if you're ordering from somewhere else, it comes from somewhere else. Um, but it doesn't confirm that. But no, it you- doesn't. And and again, I'll, I'll say this is not new. The uh, suppliers thing is not. I'm sure None there are new. new. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure, but I would guess there are probably some new suppliers in this list because it is a new product, and it might have even been designed with the idea of how many U.S.-based supplies. It reminds me a lot when Stephen and I talk on the Liftoff podcast about how a lot of NASA programs made a point and still make a point of spreading out the suppliers to all, shall we just say, congressional districts that one can, because it allows every member of Congress to say, oh, you know, NASA's working with us and and, and you've got our vote because you brought some money to my district. It, it's a little like that, um, a little reminiscent of that, I guess I would say. Um, but a- Apple has made a point of pointing out, uh, even when it's criticized for things like assembling the iPhone in China, about things like how the Gorilla Glass is made by Corning in Kentucky, I want to say, and that there are a bunch of uh, components that are made in the U.S., even when the device is assembled in China, that those are things made in the U.S. and then shipped to China for assembly. So this has been like an Apple priority to talk about all of its U.S. sourced parts for uh, for a while mm-hmm. now, because they because they get criticized as a major American company, and there has been this ongoing conversation about the lack of factory, you know, support in the tech industry for American industry, and there are lots of reasons why that it doesn't exist, but it doesn't stop them from being criticized for it. Yeah, it's like I know that Apple have other facilities like this in other parts of the world. There is one of these in Ireland that does all yeah. of the build to order stuff. I know for the UK and maybe for most of Europe. So that's why it would just surprise me if Mac Pros were not also being put together there if they had to be put together anywhere else. But anyway, I don't know that. I would love to know if anybody does know, but I haven't been able to find out. We will know eventually, but I don't know when that will be. And we're about to talk about tariffs and things like that. I I think it's also something that we should mention here is like uh, the reason there's an assembly plant in Cork in Ireland is almost certainly because there is favorable European Union regulation for those products well, to be assembled or Irish regulation. Well, yeah, but also it's access to the EU. Yeah, I'm right? sure it's part of that too. Yeah. So, definitely. so part of this is something to keep in mind that maybe seems invisible at at times, and other times it seems like as thick as a thick fog. But um, tariffs and uh, import restrictions and all sorts of things like that are part of the calculation that a big multinational, you know, company like Apple makes when it's deciding what to build and where to build it. Like mm-hmm. a- a- and the the it it's not just one company. My iMac Pro was assembled in Cork. Yeah, exactly right. Because and and again, could they have just shipped it from the US or shipped it from China? Uh, maybe, but 
there there is that plant in Cork. And is it there for Apple to make the people in Ireland feel great about Apple? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I would gather that favorable Irish regulation and also favorable access to EU markets plays a part in it. And that's part of the, the that's the big corporation distribution supply chain game, which, by the way, Tim Cook is the master of, and mm-hmm. that's why he's the CEO of Basically Apple. Basically invented the game. Yeah. And I will say from my perspective, up to this point, we're all good. This is these are the these are the things you do right in my you 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 do this stuff. This is the game you play. But the, from here, I think things start to get a little bit strange. Uh, so there was a press conference um, after the tour that Cook took Trump on, uh, in which Tim Cook said, "I particularly like to thank President Trump's secretary Munchin, Mnuchin, Mnuchin." And Ivanka, it's the guy who looks like John Oliver. <laughs> okay, and the other members of the administration. I'm grateful for their support in pulling today off and getting us this far. It would not be possible without them. Like, I just don't really know what that quote is referring to, and it seems it's very pandering. It's like, uh, it feels. I mean, for their support in pulling today off, it feels is like hovering over this to. Um, really is this idea of an exchange or you could say a quid pro quo that's a phrase that's going around a lot where the idea here is you know we will we will do this if you can cut us a break on tariffs yeah which again all right even to this point okay right like you want the tariffs so your products can still be made where you want them to be made because you want to try and stop you want to be basically cut out of America's trade war with China, right? Like Apple wants to be cut out of that. Like I'm sure every single company sure. wants right. to Right, exactly. My Everybody. company, Cortex Brand, would like to be cut out of this because we have our <laughs> notebooks made in China and we are being hit with tariffs. Like it's a thing, right? Like stuff is happening, right? Um, and so like you, you do what you do, right, in, in regards to that. Then there was another part where the Trump is giving a speech. He's given a press conference afterwards. And he turns around and asks Tim Cook a question about the economy. And Tim Cook says, I think we have the strongest economy in the world right now, right? That is to appease Trump, right? Yes. And then during, also during the press conference, Trump said that he is currently looking at exempting Apple from the next round of China tariffs. It's nice for him to put out there the specific reason why this is all happening, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> it's just, well, because, you know, it yeah. just, just says what's on his mind, I think, yep. is, is the typical thing. I yeah? think that's pretty much what happens. All yes. he can do. Uh, and mm-hmm. so this is all to this point where like, oh, this is like, this gives me an odd feeling. But again, it's like, I understand. He wanted that. He's, he's, he's trying to like play it all up, look nicey-nice. But then the part that I really don't like is Trump then states online that he has opened a major Apple manufacturing plant in Texas, which we know isn't true. It's like, we know yeah, it's hold, not Apple's. Hold on now. Yeah, It right, was already flex. in uh, effect and has been going for six years, and it is yep. not by any stretch of the imagination major. Yeah, that's it's exactly right. one low... Uh, yield product and the most so the most generous reading and i i kind of can't believe i'm going to give donald trump a generous reading because you should play devil's advocate for me i'm not i'm not a yeah Uh, i'm not i'm not a fan of this uh of this guy but i will say um he and this isn't that generous because i'm going to say that he he he's a little confused as he always is i think what's happened is that he's conflated Apple's commitment to building that large campus in Austin 
which they broke ground on on the day that Trump came, but before he came. I think he's conflating that with this. Now, purposefully, not on purpose, who could tell? But I I suspect that that's what's going on here. Because Apple is building, uh, I think, again, not necessarily because of Trump, but Apple is building a big campus in Austin, and they broke ground on it. And that's a thing that uh, you could could show off as, like, look at Apple expanding in America, and isn't this great? Um, But it's been intentionally perhaps conflated with this manufacturing thing because it serves the story that the president wants to tell which is that to to pander to his base of people especially in industrial states who feel like the american industrial core has been hollowed out and Mm -hmm. moved away that here's an example where uh your guy the president has taken apple and gotten them to open a huge plant in texas even though that's plant was already open and and the place that they're opening that they broke ground on is a not a manufacturing plant and it's going to be full of white collar workers and it doesn't have anything to do with the industrial base so i completely agree with you um but the two parts of this that then like so one like i think that they are very aware of the fact that this isn't new and it's convenient to say because there is now a trump re-election campaign video using footage of this tour uh, talking about and showing how Trump is bringing manufacturing back to America. Um, but the thing is, Apple not, have not I'm not, not 100% if it's a campaign video or if it's just a White House video, but it's certainly a, you know, it a is promotional a video. video. Right, yeah, and, for sure. And at this point in time, you could argue any pro-Trump media can be used as an idea of why he should be the president, right? Sure. Um, Apple have not corrected this statement at all <laughs> even when being pushed <laughs> from the media to correct it when asked to comment uh an apple pr person uh played the sound of crickets chirping yes but this is something that is very correctable it's not even one of these ones where it's like we're going to talk about a software shakeup at apple later on and mark Gurman has asked an apple spokesperson to to confirm is something that's secret is real right this is facts we know these facts right it's even to the point that the pictures in the campaign video show the flex logo on the workers t-shirts yes that it has nothing to do with apple well i mean it it's apple they're assembling apple, they're things, apple it's not apple yeah. it's not apple fa- apple's factory but they're assembling apple things for yeah. sure i mean and we know that but <laughs> trump's not claiming that uh so john gruber wrote a great post about this um and you know he, he says in the post there are good like we did there are good reasons to engage with the president of the united states right you need their support to get things done and if you are able to bend the president to your will a little that's great you have done your job as the ceo of a company but i want to read a, cru- a quote from from john gruber but appearing alongside trump at an apple facility in a stage photo opportunity is implicit support for trump and his re-election the video makes it look like trump's trade policies have been good for apple and that tim cook supports trump both of these things are false so we're very aware of why all this has happened it's the tariffs stuff right this it's obvious that like it's very difficult for Tim Cook if he is hit with tariffs on literally the things that he needs, right? Aluminium, yep. right? All of the all of the, well, the components, right? Like every the, how about this? Every iPhone shipped out of China, which yeah. is all of them, basically, which would be very expensive. Because look, 
you know, and we all and we may all know the story by now, right? But like there was uh, Apple put out into the press clearly that they were going to manufacture the Mac Pro now in China because of the tariffs. Then uh-huh. uh, there was a, a bunch of stories, and then Apple got ten out of fifteen tariff exemptions. And now they're like bringing the manufacturing back to America. This is managing up on the biggest possible scale, right? Yes. Like oh, t- yes. this is this is Tim Cook, and we can talk about the political ramifications of it because I think they're absolutely there. Because you're being you're being allowing yourself to be used by somebody who is simultaneously a politician running for re-election and the president of the United States who's threatening your business with tariffs. And you're trying to navigate this thing, and and he does the same with China as well, Tim Cook, where you've got these entities that can make business for you really bad, really bad. And so you don't want to anger them, um, and you want to handle them carefully, uh, and you maybe even want to try to manage the situation so that they that they get along if you can be a go-between a little bit, which I think sometimes Tim Cook is a little bit. But yeah, he's managing up where he wants to steer Trump and his people. Um, although with with Trump, you can potentially steer his people by steering him because he will, you know, he's going to say stuff and then that's what it has to be, even if the people were working on something different. Um, and so, that, yeah, you can see it happening here. This is anybody who's had a terrible manager where you've had to spend huge amounts of effort on managing your manager so that they you know, behave in a way that is conducive to whatever you want to have happen. Uh, will, I mean, I, I certainly feel it every time I see a situation like this with these guys, it's like, Oh boy. Cause yeah, that's what Tim Cook's trying to do as the CEO of Apple is he's trying to say what he needs to say and do what he needs to do in order to get, uh, Trump to be like, Apple is great. They're playing ball. I don't want to hurt them with tariffs. Let's exempt them from the tariffs. That's what, that's what he's trying to do. And the exchange there is that he stands next to Trump and says, this is the best economy ever and uh, gives him a photo op at mm-hmm. an Apple factory. And says all Actually, of this an Apple factory is and, in thanks to the work yeah. from the Trump administration. Yeah. But, and if you don't think this will come up at the Republican convention next uh, summer before the election as a thing that people keep citing about, like how great uh, Apple is and that they're all coming back to America mm-hmm. and Apple is investing in America and all that. If you don't think yeah. that's going to be a bullet point somewhere at a ca- campaign rallies and at the convention, um, I think you're wrong. I think it absolutely will be used yeah. that way. Our friend Tim, the very special individual, right? As, as we call him. <laughs> um, Tim Apple. Uh, the, but like, I think it is, I feel like I'm, you know, the meme with like Charlie Day and the string and, you know. And the, <laughs> sure. The conspiracy theory meme. This is yeah. not about the Mac Pro at all, right? The Mac Pro surely, surely has profit margins to swallow the tariffs. It's about the iPhone. Yeah, it's a, the Mac Pro is a symbol uh, as it's been since 2013 when they did this with in Austin with the Mac Pro. It is a symbol of something that Apple can say that they brought back to the U.S. Um, I don't think it's all entirely cynical. I do think that Apple. Uh, is proud of using American suppliers and is, I think it was right for Apple to say it is not the perception that an iPhone is an, is a Chinese product is not accurate. In addition to all the software and the industrial design being done in the U S that there are lots of suppliers that are key suppliers, including perhaps most importantly, Corning for the glass. That's all happening in the U S like, I think, I think they're right to push back on the narrative that it's all, all China, but this is, this is a, thing that's 
you know, more for show, I think, because you're right. In the end, this is about a chess game to have the iPhone escape as much of the pressure of a trade war with China and tariffs as possible. I just think he went a little bit too far here. I think he gave up a little bit more than he got. I, I you know, I, I think that this is what he had to do. I think that's my problem with it is I, th- I think you're I think you're perfectly reasonable and John is pers- perfectly reasonable to say this is embarrassing for Cook. He looks like a puppet. Uh, and he does. He does. And I keep coming back to like thinking, you know, as a CEO, you do. I, I, I mean, this is also on the heels of the Hong Kong stuff. Yeah, I can make a defense of Tim Cook uh, about the fact that he is the CEO of a public and profit-driven corporation, and that his job is to maximize shareholder value and profits, and that's capitalism. However, Apple does talk big about corporate values and trying to do good in the world, and I think it is a fair argument to say that, uh, you know, if iPhone margins were destroyed by the trade war because Tim Cook uh, antagonized Trump, that he would be held accountable. Um, But also that Apple tends to emphasize the corporate values where it feels it can actually advance the ball like renewable energy and recycling of materials. But if you watch that, you will see a a negative space. You'll see an empty space, which is the stuff where Apple maybe has some corporate uh, beliefs and values, but it needs to make profits and maximize shareholder value. And so you end up in a position where you're Tim Cook and you're like, iPhone profits. (laughs) And playing ball with Donald Trump. And how do you square that circle? And honestly, the other problem is, in the past, you could cut a deal as a CEO with a, with a president, a sitting president or other politician. And have like, okay, we're going to make a deal. And like, we're going to say this and we're not going to say this. And you're going to say this and you're not going to say this. And you're like, you come to some agreement. And everybody goes, yeah, this is how it happens. And then mm-hmm. it's a staged opportunity. And like Obama walks in and, you know, USA, USA. And then he walks out and it's done. I, I think one of the other aspects of what's going on here is Trump doesn't do that. Like you are, once he's in your factory and the cameras are on and, and you're Tim Cook, like he could say anything. And what do you do then? And I think I think that's where some of the unease here is is it's not locked down. He can say or do anything. And if you're Tim Cook, are you prepared to start fact-checking Donald Trump on the floor of your factory during his photo op? And I think there's a strong I think there's a strong argument to be made that by him not doing that, he is completely capitulating to uh Trump's agenda about Apple that is based on uh, lies, right? It's based on completely inaccurate information. Um and that to me that's the I understand that moment, but that is the disappointment, right? Is like he allowed himself, perhaps he was trapped in it, but to be in a moment where he either needed to sit there and smile, stand there and smile, or he needed to push back at the president of the United States, who, as we are constantly reminded, does not appreciate that. This is so complicated. And I and I understand the complication, but it it just feels a little disappointing, right? Like I can't help but be disappointed. Yeah, I mean, and I think, and I think it's fair to argue in another post that John Gruber po- made last week. Like, I think, I think you could also argue that um, allowing data centers in China to be Apple data centers to be in uh, Chinese government-owned companies' facilities 
and removing the uh, the Taiwan flag if you're localized in Hong Kong, where it's not illegal to show the Taiwan flag, and then coming out last week and saying we've never felt pressure from China. I mean, you could argue that we spent the last 10 minutes talking about the second most embarrassing thing Tim Cook did last week. That's true. That's a very good point. I'd forgot. I, I'd forgotten about that exact interview because he's he's had a bit of a he's had a bit of an old wig well, to Timmy. And 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 he he and the, here's the thing. And this is not going to please everybody who wants the 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 you know the rage session. The what is it? The thirty minutes hate in 1984. That's mm-hmm. a reference. Um, the it's not going to please everybody, but it's like it's a it's a tough line. Like CEO of Apple, like he he literally has to do diplomacy with China. And yep. diplomacy with the government of the United yep. States and its president and try to keep his company uh, running and not uh, falling apart because of the bad relationships. He's so important. He is effectively a world leader at this point. Yes, I think essentially it is. And that says something about the ascent of large corporations and the power they wield. I think that we could talk like there's a lot of things here that we're not necessarily equipped to talk about, about capitalism and the ascent of the power of corporations and all of that and uh, versus governments uh, wielding trade powers and things like that in order to perhaps address domestic issues by uh, rattling their their sabers on on trade. There's a lot. There's so much going on here. And my point is not to absolve Tim Cook. My point is to say this is really hard stuff. And I'm not sure there's a good answer here because um, anybody who doesn't like Trump wants Tim Cook to say, no, uh, I'm not going to do a photo op with Trump or say, I'll go to the photo op with Trump. But when he says that this is a new uh, facility, I'm going to correct him. I'm not going to let it stand or I'm going to go on the the first interview I do afterward and I'm going to I'm going to correct what he said and hope that that doesn't rain fire down on me for contradicting him. Um, and the, the fact is, and I don't think I'm surprised because Tim Cook doesn't seem like a firebrand to me that he just gritted his teeth and smiled and call, you know, spoke when he was called on and hoped to, I think, just hope to escape and minimize the damage and hope that the net result is positive for Apple and live to fight another day. That's, that's what I think. And that, is, that, is that cowardly? Um, it's easy to call somebody a coward if you're not in their shoes and you don't see what they have to lose. Uh, if you're purely idealistic and you can let it all burn if they say that thing, you really want to tell Trump off in person uh, in front of uh, the cameras, you could do it. But what's that going to mean for you and for Apple? Um, doesn't mean he shouldn't have done it. Doesn't mean he shouldn't have found a way, but it, it's a really tough set of trade-offs, and that's the that's the high wire that Tim Cook gets to walk every day. Um, so yeah, it's a that I wouldn't want his job. Thank you for talking about this with me, Jason. Sure, it's great. Hey, Cook Love has it. a Cook has a particularly difficult time because of the ideals created by his predecessor. Yeah, for sure, and uh, you know, and and. <laughs> On one level, he's the exact right CEO for Apple for this era because, because what we said at the this. beginning, yeah. because of operations, because operations and logistics and all these things, this is what this is about. This is about what are you making where um, and about balancing lots of different interests. And while Tim Cook probably didn't expect to be doing delicate negotiations with uh, senior Chinese ministers and the president of the United States, uh, that's where he is. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, it's 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 hard. It's it's tough to have the the company that you 
you follow and care about and you want them to do well, which I think a lot of people who listen to the show obviously feel, uh, interact with politics, like with John Gruber, obviously, like he's got Tim Cook and then there's Donald Trump who he can't stand. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, 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 no. You need to not give this guy material. I get, I get that feeling. Um, but you know, then you're Tim Cook and it's your whole company (laughs) and it's riding on, on this. And, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. Succession planning for Cook, I think, is going to be and is probably more difficult than succession planning for Jobs. I think at this level, and I would put this across industries, like, I think this is, it's hard to replace any CEO. Yeah. uh, Because everybody at that level, you know, ideally has a totally different set of responsibilities. But yeah, it's, it's brutally hard at Apple, right? Because realistically, it has to be somebody at Apple. A current or former Apple person, because I would argue, and this is arguable, but I would argue Apple's culture is so unlike other cultures that you could not bring in somebody who is the CEO of some other tech company and install them at Apple. It would take that too long just, for them to get it. It would take, yeah, it would take years for them to figure it out, unless there's some magical uh, cultural match. And I would argue at that point, that person probably either worked at Apple before or was surrounded by people who worked at Apple who started that company. I'm not sure there are a lot of things. So really, you're looking internally, which I think is interesting also in terms of who they hire and who they promote. Like, because part of your succession planning needs to be to hire really, really, really good executive level people around you over the course of 10 years or more. Because that's who the next CEO is going to be. And you better get a good one. You better get the best one. Today's episode is brought to you by Linode. With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the cloud and get everything up and running in seconds with your own choice of Linux distro, resources, and load location. Linode has hundreds of thousands of customers that are all looked after by their incredible 24-7 support team. If you ever run into any problems when you're setting up your Linode server or when you're managing it, you can drop them an email, you can give them a call, or you can even chat with them in the IRC Linode community. Whatever's easiest for you... Just go for it. They also have great user documentation and guides and stuff as well. So if you just want to look up something quickly, super easy to do. Linode's management console is a single-page application build that uses the uses the cutting-edge React.js stack and is backed entirely by their public API. It's open source as well. They also feature two-factor authentication to keep all of your data safe. Uh, One of the things that's great about Linode is you never have to stress about overspending. They have designed their pricing tiers to feature hourly billing with the added bonus of a monthly cap on all plans on add-on services such as backups and node balances as well. Linode has pricing options available to suit everyone. For just $5 a month, you can get a virtual server with a gigabyte of RAM, and they also offer high memory plans that start with 16 gigabytes of RAM or more. Linode have a special offer for listeners of this show. If you go to linode.com, L-I-N, ode.com slash upgrade and use the promo code upgrade2019 you will get $20 towards any Linode plan. If you sign up for the 1 gigabyte of RAM plan that will get you 4 free months of service which is a great way to try it out. Linode also have a 7 day money back guarantee so there's nothing to lose. Give Linode a try today by going to linode.com slash upgrade and use the promo code upgrade2019 you can learn more, sign up and make the most of that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linode for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. We have a report from Mark Gurman over at Bloomberg in regards to a software shakeup happening 
at Apple. Craig Federighi and Stacey Lysick were said to have uh, held an internal meeting. Uh, Stacey Lysick, who's a name that I was not familiar with, is the Senior Director of Operating System Platforms. That was what a Google search told me, Jason. So Good. LinkedIn is very useful for things like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were So apparently Apple are once again changing their approach when it comes to operating system software development and release after what has been, uh, no doubt, a rocky release cycle this year is probably a nice way to put it. Uh, in a nutshell, from this report, um, Apple are no longer going to be allowing buggy features to appear in their daily test builds by default. So Apple's QA testers will be able to selectively enable features that are deemed to be unfinished and then see what impact they have on the system. One of the reasons for this is because over the summer, it turns out that Apple's testers were sometimes completely unable to test features or use the operating system at all because parts of the operating system were completely broken. Uh, Also, internally, Apple have a scale that they rate their problems at or their operating system builds are and how stable they are. Uh, unsurprisingly, iOS 13 has been rated lower than iOS 12 in Apple's internal stability testing. The new process has already begun because development of iOS 14 has begun. I assume that this meeting was the like, you know, smashing the champagne against the wall kind of thing for iOS 14, I would assume. Um, they, uh, uh, <laughs> I, that started, I, I was thinking of that a little more violently and then I realized, oh, you mean like a boat. Like a boat, oh, not like a yeah. Federighi super mad. Um, so this yeah. process. Oh, did you begun. see Craig smashed the champagne bottle against the the wall? He's very so angry mad. with us. So angry. He got in his hair and everything. He was so upset. Uh, the new process has already begun with the current development of iOS 14, and they are apparently already pulling out features of iOS 14 to go into iOS 15, which is for some reason, according to Mark Gurman, being dubbed internally as iOS 14.1, which was just very weird. Uh, and so this is so they can focus on performance. So this all seems like you would have expected. I could have written this. I, you know? I love the idea by the way, I love the idea that they are going to focus on stability and also introduce just as many features as they did this year. That was something like, that it says in a report, okay. that it's going to be comparable to iOS 13 in features, but they're yeah. going to focus on stability. I mean, and yeah. let's be honest, it's great. 12 had a bunch of stuff in it, and, and we yes. know that 12 was a stability release, but it still had a bunch of stuff in it. But it may have been that 14 was going to be even more ambitious, and they've pushed stuff to 15. So... so- Here's the challenge with with all of this stuff is it's Apple internal. And while I uh, know for a fact that there are people who listen to this who work at Apple. Hello. We love what you do. They they don't talk to us about this stuff, and that's fine. Um, But I I will say we talk about it a lot. It's a black box to a certain degree, like how they do their processes. And sometimes when we talk about things that are going wrong or we perceive as going wrong with Apple product releases, like the OS bugs, we have this debate. We've had it here a couple of times, which is like... How do you fix this? And the answer is uh, fix the processes internally, I guess. But like, we don't know what the processes are. We, we aren't d- diving deep in there and trying to figure it out. So what's interesting about this report is it's basically saying, here's a report from inside the black box at Apple saying that they're changing their processes because they've identified in a, in a meeting, they identified some ways where it made it harder for them to test their software, specifically that the people who are relied on to test the software when it's in beta were unable to to run the betas because of, you know, and, and they pulled that thread and they're like, well, why? And the answer is stuff gets checked in every day for the daily builds that's really bad and it doesn't work. And they're like, oh, maybe we could turn that off if it doesn't work. And so then you could continue to use it. And they followed that thread. Now, is this the only thing they're doing? Uh, 
maybe not, probably not. Um, and we so rarely get any peek in at all that um, I love this story just for that, just the idea that, you know, I want to hear about Apple recognizing issues and um, that with their process and adjusting their process. I don't, I don't know the details. I don't know if this will work or not, if it's a good idea or a bad idea. I, I have no idea about that, but you know, you like to hear it. <laughs> you like to hear that they're trying to <laughs> work it out. Playing the hits today, you love it. You you know to love it. Um, yeah. I figure we're in a constant. I hope, TikTok the, I hope now, somebody right? doesn't create that uh, upgrade references account this week because they are dead now. Yeah, they so. got a lot of work cut out. Right? Yeah, you just love to see it. Um, I don't really have a lot to say on this. This seems like the inevitable thing that would have happened, right? That yeah, like I, I think it's cool. Cool tidbits about like how they they rate a, they score everything, mm-hmm. um, and and that is a uh, nice little barb that German throws in where he's like, you know, they scored on a hundred points stale in terms of stability. So like this release, iOS twelve, it got like an eighty five or something like that, and then he says, it's not clear what score iOS thirteen received. <laughs> like, <laughs> was it double digits yeah. uh yeah yeah but i i think and and in terms of future stuff which german likes to report about like i think apple in the last couple of years have shown they are willing to pull features out and punt them if they need to and that's great um he talks about punting them into ios what they're calling you know plus one uh 14 plus one or whatever the code is uh Azul plus one, or I forget. They've got a there's a a, a meaningless uh, code name for it, mm-hmm. but um, I, which he assumes is iOS 15, and maybe it is because maybe he knows more than he's saying there. But I keep thinking, what I want to see Apple do next is not punt features. They're already doing this a little bit, but like not punt features straight away to iOS 15. I mean, obviously if it's just never going to happen, that's fine. But like, I really would like to see them plan out features and spread them out over the year so that they could say, I know that's not entirely practical because, you know, they're starting to work on the OS now and it's not even the end of this year. But like, I would really like it to be structured where they need to own it at WWDC because the last two years they've been doing this anyway. Right. Yeah. Right. So delay stuff. So they may as well just say some features will come throughout the year, but these are the ones the shipping in June. You know. Yeah, and, and I would I would also prefer them not to say, look, if it doesn't ship by December or January, it's just not going to ship until beta in June and the following September. I think that that is um, no way to run a railroad. That they they need to uh, they need to try to even if there is the big tent pole in the summer they need to kind of spread out the rest of the of the feature rollout but anyway i do think it's interesting that they said feature on performance kick some things to ios 15 but also have the ability to to uh ship something meaningful in 14 um uh which is important because as an ipad user i hear about things getting kicked out of ios 14 to ios 15 and it gives me a flashback to when there were a bunch of iOS uh, iPad features in iOS what twelve that got 12, kicked to thirteen thirteen and then they created iPad OS out of yeah what that was. So let's talk like about that. iOS fourteen a little bit. Yeah, you wrote a wish sure. list, which I can't I did. believe you were able to compile. I did. I I I called you know so so Phil Michaels, my editor at Tom's Guide, and I'm writing for them monthly now. Um, he he's great at suggesting. Uh, and I've worked with him for years. He's great at suggesting story ideas. And he said, <laughs> an iOS 14 wish list. I'm like, wow, 
Well, I said, well, the moment iOS 13 ships, I suppose. But in the end, it's also kind of a, you know, iOS 13 aftermath. It's the, in the aftermath of 13, what what didn't get addressed or didn't get addressed properly that I would love to see Apple prioritize next year. So it's it's kind of that article. So it's it's as much about iOS 13 um, missing things as it is about iOS 14 and, and 2020. So what give me some give me some of the headlines here. What would you like to see in iOS 14? Uh well, uh, number 1 on my list was stability, yeah. right? Which is just that TikTok thing that we were just talking about and I think that um I would like to see Apple look, I would like to see Apple focus on stability all the time, right? But if if it can't <laughs> then uh at least alternating releases where you introduce a bunch of new features and then you clean it all up. That's the next best thing. And uh, I can't control, I'm not saying Apple iOS 15 full of bugs. Let's do it. Like I'm not saying that, but I am saying um, given iOS 13, it would be nice if uh, I would be okay with them taking a little more time to kind of retrench a little bit, clean up the bugs, do the performance boost on older hardware things, and just kind of like keep it rolling in in that way because uh, 13 was too bumpy and it can't happen again. Um, I completely agree. Uh, I would love to not have to focus so much on this as a thing. Just as a person talking about technology... I don't like to have to keep talking about the fact that X feature isn't working. I much prefer it when features work. It's more interesting to talk about things going well than things going not well, I find. It's what I like to talk about most. Sure. So like selfishly, as, as a technology-focused podcaster, I would much prefer there to be uh, less bugs. I think it's nicer that way. Sure. Um, I had a bunch of stuff about shortcuts. and And this is really my, I mean... Federico talks about it way more than I do, and Matthew Castanelli does a lot of stuff about shortcuts, but I care about shortcuts a lot, and I care about user automation a lot, and I've talked about it on this show a lot. And I feel like shortcuts, this is, 2020 is like the, I don't want to say make or break year, but like it's a very important year for shortcuts, because 2018 was rollout, right? The product was acquired, 2018 rolling it into uh, official Apple. Mm-hmm version let's make although it a it was, part of this right like although this. it was very much just just workflow uh turned into shortcuts and there were some new features for the siri shortcuts and stuff like that but really those were kind of a different feature welded on and it was otherwise kind of just workflow which was great as a user workflow i was glad they didn't mess it up 2019 we got a bunch of new features in shortcuts which is great but if you look at at shortcuts, there the list of things that um, could be done to improve it is enormous. It's got more potential than so many other parts of iOS. Um, just so much stuff because it's so new. So much more that they could do. And I, what I really want for 2020 and iOS 14 is I want them to keep their foot on the gas with shortcuts. Like there's so much more that they can do. And... I made this point in the article. One of the great things about shortcuts is it gives you a release valve because you can build shortcut connectivity and it frees Apple from having to actually make some features uh, that are edge case features. And and instead, like you you put in some effort to wire everything up to shortcuts and then 
let the users make the ed- edge case features themselves, which I, I'm, you know, yes, I want folders and shortcuts and more organization and the ability to, to copy and paste different sections and debugging and all of those things. But I also just want Apple to extend shortcut stuff to more parts of the system and make it more powerful. And the example I gave is I would love to be able to say, you know, when I squeeze the stem on my AirPods Pro, instead of toggling transparency, what I wanted to do is toggle transparency, uh, turn on transparency and lower the volume of what's playing back. Right. And then when I do it again, if transparency is on, I wanted to turn it off, uh, go back to noise canceling and then raise the volume again. Um, that's a shortcut. Like I don't need them to build a feature in the Bluetooth sub menu of like some other modes for that squeezing on the stems of the AirPods Pro. It's like ridiculous, super fiddly. They shouldn't do it. It's bad. But I want that feature. So the answer mm-hmm. is just extend it so that shortcuts can do that for me. And if they and if they that's just one example, but like that's what I want to see is I want at Apple the I the iOS development group to say shortcuts is a part of what we are now. And like back in the old days with Apple Script and Apple events on the Mac, say, you know, you're not a good part of the system or an app if you don't tie into shortcuts. And then let right. the users deal with it. Like if you can do it. You can shortcuts it. It's a terrible yeah. phrase, but and, but I I but seriously, like Apple is so used to on iOS, especially of like if we don't build it, it can't happen. And I think that the response to that is, if you build a shortcut connection and walk away, unless it's I mean, it, if it's a feature that most users want, you should build it as an explicit feature, right? But so much of this stuff is at the edges and it's the details, and it's like this is better handled through shortcuts and just build in shortcut access, more shortcut access everywhere. And, you know, yes, I would like it to be more powerful and have uh, support for a scripting language or command line sandbox or something like that. But like, I just, the, the, if you think about some areas of iOS where they've built so much and it's so functional, and then I look at shortcuts and think I could list like a hundred things that I wish shortcuts could do. Like there's so much possibility. There's so much potential that I just, I will be really disappointed if it feels like they kind of took their foot off the gas and said, you know, shortcuts is, is good for a while. Cause it's not, it, it's, it's good, but it could be a big win for users and for user automation. If they kept pushing it, this is, um, this stuff is all kind of customer focused. Do you have anything more focused on developer tools? Um, well, yeah, I think I think developer tools has to be a big story at WWDC next year. Um, this was a rough year, right? So it's like lots of bugs, <laughs> but it's not just for users; it's for developers. Like they got they introduced the two different new methods of building apps: Mac Catalyst and Swift UI. Um, you've seen the result in developers. Like, I mean, we we I don't know about you, I expected this fall to see a whole lot of app updates supporting new features of iOS 13 and supporting Catalyst. And for lots of the apps that I rely on, the developers, the message from the developers has been spent the summer working out the bugs in iOS 13, spending the fall looking at implementing iOS 13 new features. And as for Mac Catalyst, talk to me next year. And that's rough. That's rough. So I feel like... um, Making progress with the developer tools, making Mac Catalyst better, progressing Swift UI, 
um, and trying to make sure that developers get a uh, more stable platform. The stability doesn't just benefit users in the fall. Stability during the summer benefits users because the developers are able to develop instead of getting frustrated by um, the development tools being in pieces and the betas being messed up, which is what happened this year. So um, I think that it benefits users in the end, but it, it benefits the developers for them. The, the, another example of like, you did some new stuff, don't walk away, because that happens sometimes. Apple rolls out new stuff and it walks away and says, I'll get back to this in two or three years. And uh, no, don't, no, no, it's not good enough. Like you need to keep pushing on all of this stuff. They walk away, like Catalyst is a great example. Like there's so many things, if they listen to developers, there is a whole list of things that they could do to make Catalyst better. Mm -hmm. Are they going to do that? And if they don't do that, what does that mean? Uh, Does that mean that Catalyst is never going to be better than it is and it's just kind of is what it is and they've walked away from it? Swift UI, I fully expect for them to keep progressing because it's in its infancy. But like all of this stuff is important iPad OS isn't of one of those yep. things. Th- that's th- that's my that's my last big point um, that I made in the article and that I can make here, which is just what we said before about kicking features out of iOS 14 to iOS 15. Like what we said last summer, they named iPad OS. iPad OS is a thing now. There will be an iPad OS 14, right? Right. It can't have no new features. It can't have enhancements to features that matter to the iPad by giving iPad OS its own name. It's Apple putting a chip down and saying, um, yes, this is also a thing we're working on. We're going to, we're going to, I don't know what I'm going to do with this chip now. Are they playing poker with it? Is it Baccarat? I don't know. But um, it's them saying iPad is important too. You cannot go the next year and walk away from the iPad and do what you've done the last off years with iPad features in iOS, which is to kind of ignore them. So uh, that's all of us who use the iPad are going to be watching very closely next year with 14 because um, we want to see forward motion on the iPad every year. Yes. And it needs it. There's there's a whole... You and I could come up with a list. And it can be nerdy. We, we can come up with 20 things. files full of more features and we'll be happy, you know? Fix files. Uh, make the cursor support better. Um, you know, there, there's so many things they could do. Better keyboard support, uh, keyboard shortcuts across the system, keyboard tie-ins with shortcuts. Like, there's so many things. External display, uh, you know, with with app mirroring. There are so many things that are there. And they don't have to do them all because that's not possible, but they could pick some. But I, I really hope they do because it's going to be very frustrating if iPad OS gets introduced in t- uh, 2019. And in 2020, if the iPad OS update page is basically like, you get all the features the iPhone does. Right, because that goes against, shrug. like, exactly what they said when they announced it. It's like, this is now one of our operating systems. And, like, and right. I want to take them at their word, but Me too. I can't because of 2018 and 2016. I will at least say I have more faith in them this time than I did in 16 and 18 because they called it its own thing. Yeah. yeah. I'm still nervous, but I have more faith this time because... They have given it a distinction. Like, if you are actually legitimately calling it its own operating system, at WWDC, there is always features for every operating system. Even tvOS gets new stuff, right? So iPadOS has to get new stuff, as well as benefiting from whatever you introduced to the major iOS stack as it is. That would be not just my hope. That is my baseline assumption for what is acceptable as an iPad user. So we'll see. 
All right. Today's episode is brought to you by Moo, the online print and design company specializing in customizable business cards, postcards, stickers, and more for your business. If you're new to Moo, you can order a free sample pack on their website. You just go to Moo.com. This way you can see what their products look like. You can hold them in your hands and then make the decisions about what you will need to order for your business. We're talking business cards and postcards, invitations, letterheads, stickers, flyers, whatever you need to seamlessly promote yourself and your brand, Moo can do it and you can count on their quality. They have beautiful finishing touches like gold or silver foil. You can do raised spot gloss. This is when you can like select certain areas of a, of a print and have it shiny. You can also do letterpress. Uh, it's all these little touches that will make your product stand out. If you don't fancy designing your own card or you're not sure what you want to do, Moo recently rolled out new templates for business cards that are inspired by their most creative customers. So you can get not only products that feel good, but they're designed well, they look good across the board. They have luxurious hardcover notebooks that feature a Swiss binding. Every page lays flat and then made of premium paper that is protected by a tough tactile cover. I have been using Moo products for years and years and years on my business cards. I use their notebooks. Absolutely love them. So go to moo.com, M-O-O.com, and use the promo code PRINTMOO, P-R-I-N-T-M-O-O, to get 15% off orders of $50 or more. That's moo.com and the code PRINTMOO for 15% off any order of $50 or more. I thanks to Moo for their support of this show and Relay FM. Should we do some hashtag ask upgrade questions before we do our mic at the movies? It's a good idea. I had those lasers ready. I'm glad we got to use them. Brilliant. First one comes from Jason, not Jason. Yeah, another Mm-mm. Jason, an upgradian Jason. Yeah. Who says, if you have the iPhone 11 battery case and use the Halide application, can you confirm for me that I know it won't launch Halide because it will launch Apple's camera app, but does the camera button fire the shutter in Halide when you have it open? No, it doesn't. So the new camera, the new uh, smart battery case has a physical camera shutter button on it. So uh, this was a surprise to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you can press and hold the button and it will open the camera app. And then once the camera app is open, any press of that button, physical button, not even like a smushy button, it's a clicky button, it's a plastic button, um, will take photos. When you open the Halide app, which I did today, and you press the button, nothing happens. If you press and hold the button, then the camera app will open. So no, this is a pure I- Apple camera app feature. Wouldn't surprise me if there's an API for that so that camera apps will be able to add support for it later. Maybe. Um, but uh, it's good to know that right now Apple has shipped a feature that's only available on its accessory. And I also want to thank Upgrading Jason for doing one of the things I asked at the beginning of the show, which is uh, just get us more of that sweet, sweet accessory talk. Accessory yeah. talk. Accessory that, talk. Yeah. Maybe that could be the segment. Just accessory mm. talk of Mike and Jason. Yeah. Let's be like Upstream or something, you know? I know that's what you want. More segments. It's, I was going to say sounds really boring too, but okay, that's yeah. What you want. No, accessories, no, it's you great. It's money, money, it. money, money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is yep, it yep. money, money, Where's the money, money, money coming from? Oh, uh, well, Am- we were doing Amazon referral links to all the accessories ah, and people are going to be money, like, money, I want money. that, I want that, I want to get that. And then they're going to buy it and we get money for it. And money, money, uh, money. It's just a, yeah, it's a cash grab. Accessory talk is brought to you by Logitech. Mmm. <laughs> Oh, man. See? That's why you're in sales. Money, money, money. (laughs) 
Howard says, I'm an owner of a mid-2014 13-inch MacBook Pro. I've been very, very satisfied of it up until recently. I've been taking a fair bit of 4K 60 frame per second video on my iPhone 11. I've noticed that my Mac cannot play the video without frequent short pauses. Is this to be expected? I'm wondering if a recent MacBook Air could maybe better handle this. Yeah, I don't know exactly what's going on here, but it feels very much like either the because uh, sixty k uh, sixty frames four k is a lot Serious. of video. It's a lot it's a, of data. It's a lot of data there. You've, you're so really I don't know if it's it. the data not streaming off the hard drive fast enough, or if decoding presumably HEVC at four k sixty is uh, it's failing, or if it's transcoded it on the Mac to a different format and is having trouble play that. I'm regardless a five-year-old laptop not being able to play 4K 60 video um, smoothly is not surprising, and so so yes, I'm pretty sure a Retina MacBook Air would be able to handle that much better. Recent Apple um, laptops have ability to do hardware decoding of HEVC, I think, which helps, uh, and uh, they've all got SSDs that are faster, I think, than they were back in 14, assuming you've got an SSD. So, um, yeah, I think that this is an example where your iPhone's feature set has outstripped your laptop's capabilities. That's a shame. That is a shame. Tech uh, travels fast. Yep. Harry asked, do you think Apple will ever release a new product line under the I naming scheme? A cursory glance at their website and the only products that have are all big Steve Jobs hits like the iMac, the iPod, the iPhone, and the iPad. That was replaced with the Apple logo, which is yep. very frustrating for if you ever write anything down. Um, this It's Apple TV, you know, what else we've got? Apple TV Plus. <laughs> uh, Apple Watch. There you go. That's the big one. Uh, mm-hmm. To the point that even on Apple's website, it just says watch. Uh, I was surprised today. I was looking through the Apple's website while I was compiling some uh, categories for the uh, the uh, the upgrades. And on the watch page, AirPods is listed there. I just thought it was a funny place to put it. Just AirPods. Um, AirPods goes everywhere. It's also on yeah. the iPad page, the iPhone page, everywhere. Put AirPods all over everything. I know it's compatible, but it just seemed like a funny like top-level navigation thing. But no, mm-hmm. I don't think the iNaming is ever coming back. No, I will only give one exception to that, which is I think that it's not impossible that a spin-off product of the iPhone or the iPad could get that name. Uh, okay. Um, okay. So, like... I think it's unlikely because um, they could have called the HomePod the iPod, I guess, and they didn't. But like the one that I keep coming back to is if they made an iOS laptop, would they call it iBook? And I think maybe, probably not, but maybe because it couldn't be a MacBook, but it could be an iBook. It could also be like an iPad book, but that, you know, I don't know. Anyway, that's my only exception, and I think that's not very likely. Otherwise, I don't think it's ever going to happen again. It's over. The I era is long over, and the Apple logo reigns. Yeah, I think that they're done with that. I mean, I don't personally, I don't really actually like the Apple something branding because it's it's le- it's led to I think really unimaginative product naming. Like Apple Watch is just not fun. It's like it's just It's not fun, but it's it's a good name. Yeah, but then you just everything's just named what it is. Music, yeah. TV, news, like I don't yep. know. It feels both boring and uh, dystopian to me. 
Wow. And I just said, like, it's just like everything is Apple something, right? Like, it's Apple yes. news, Apple music. It just seems a bit like the one company that controls it all. I, I don't know. I just don't yeah, like I it. Get it. I get it. I just, I feel like if you're the most recognized brand in the world, that uh, leaning into that, probably not a bad decision. <laughs> I 100% agree with that, and I know that's why they're doing it, but I still would love a little bit more. Jeremy asks, if uh, we all now live in Dongletown and root for the Dongletown butterflies, upgradeyourwardrobe.com, where did everybody live previously? Was it Port City, somewhere else? Uh, Jeremy, there's always been a Dongletown. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Its population ebbs and flows, but since the first parallel port made made the first RS-232 interface, there has always been... Uh, a, do- a dongle town. It started as a village that was uh, Dapter Village, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yes, dongle town has always been with us as long as there has been technology and uh, things that need to be adapted. Where do they come from, though? Do you think? Well, the population ebbs and flows over time. Um, there are often new um, members of dongle town as new technologies are launched. The population grows, and then over time, that population will have had their fill of Dongletown, and will finally, you know, move on to elsewhere. But then, then the next like time moves on, and more dongles are needed, and then the population grows again. So they just the people of Dongletown have learned, the shopkeepers of Dongletown have learned to be flexible because the population does ebb and flow. They've got like whole schools that they they turn into garden centers when you know there's the USB hasn't changed in a while, and then they turn them back into schools again when there's a new USB garden centers that's a true story there's an <laughs> elementary school by uh by my house that was a garden center when we moved okay. here and then they it turned it back way in. too specific way too specific yeah no there was there were they sold plants and then uh like two years later it was back to being an elementary school because they All had right. more kids and they i'm pleased the, that that one wasn't just like purely constructed from your brain because yeah. that was it would have been very esoteric mm. and that asks with the rumored 13.3 uh, macbook pro going to a 14 inch i wanted to say this like I, I think I heard this in ATP. Yeah, the rumor is purely constructed by our own hopes and dreams. There is yeah. nothing to say that that laptop is going to get any bigger, right? And I think that that is worth pointing out at this point. We keep talking about the possibility of the 13 going to a 14 uh, MacBook Pro size, but there is no way of knowing right now if that's the case. We just assume it would naturally be that way. But let's imagine, as Ahmed is, is posing, that it does increase in size. Do you think that the MacBook Air line could again split into two different sizes? Maybe there's a 12-inch and a 14-inch or something like that. Uh, what do you think? Do you think they may split the MacBook Air line up again? <sighs> I have a hard time seeing it, but I do feel like it's possible that they would make an ultra-compact laptop. I feel like this is the thing we've been talking about as the ARM MacBook, but it's hard to say. Like, the MacBook Air is new, and it is a surprise product. They really thought that they had replaced it, and then they had to go back and basically make it, I think. Um, so I don't know. I, As a lover of small laptops, I would love there to be something smaller, um, and I think it wouldn't be for everybody, which is why the... 13 inch air would continue um so i think it's possible i wouldn't put money on it but i feel like that it's entirely possible apple would make a another ultra compact laptop in the vein of the macbook and whether that's arm um and whether that's a uh an ios laptop or a mac laptop i think those are all kind of out there but um i yeah i'm not confident enough to say that i would bet on it 
Uh, Laurie asks, with so many Apple TV Plus shows being renewed, I wonder if Apple will time the second seasons of these shows to line up with when the free accounts from 2019 of products, right? So we all got our free account if we bought a product, when they expire, driving people to renew the subscriptions. What are your thoughts on their hardware and TV show synchronicity? Wouldn't that be, uh, wouldn't that be clever of them? Yep. To say that just as your, uh, just as your year of free Apple TV is waning, uh, the premieres of those shows are, are going to be returning, the ones that you liked and remembered. Uh, wouldn't surprise me. I think that the renews ha- the renewals happened largely because there is always a uh, contractual moment where you need to either because what happens is the actors and the other production crew they're like uh, those who are under contract are under contract with a renewal date. You can't keep them around forever and say like five years later. they need another job, right? Like yeah, right, just... right. You need to you need to um, pick up their contract and then they you pay them and they, they work again. And you can't keep them around forever and wait for one of them to become a star and then say, ha-ha, now I'm reactivating your contract. It doesn't work like that. And because Apple TV ended up not launching until quite a ways after that they produced these shows, I think possibly later than Apple planned on launching it initially, I think the main reason this stuff got renewed when it did was because they had to contractually. Um, Morning Show was already a two ep- a two series mm-hmm. season commitment series commitment for the british um but uh i think uh they just had to go ahead and uh how long does it take for them to rack up uh, season 2 of for all mankind it could be ready next fall so now that now that they've been renewed and they've done it and see and all of that so yeah, that would be very clever. I wouldn't put it past Apple. I reckon that's exactly when they're going to do it. Like right, just one year later, yeah. here they come again, and that's. I mean, that's how TV shows work that are released weekly. Is you play, you premiere them and play them out, and then the next year at the same time, more or less, you that ideally you premiere them and and roll them out again, and and uh, that would be perfect timing. Yeah, I think so because it fits fits just well for them in a bunch of reasons, right? They have their biggest platform to promote the yeah. series on. In fact, I, I would say it would be smart if they premiered them before the year was out. Because since they're they a weekly the release, yeah. they they would remind you that they're back. <laughs> you would maybe get back into them. If you hadn't seen them yet, maybe you would binge the first season and then start watching the second season. And there would be another hook to get you. You'd hit that brick wall of the renewal and you'd be like, all right. Uh, also, by the way, everybody who's on the free is actually on auto renew. So huh, um, yes. it's not quite the same as uh, having to choose to renew. You have to choose mm-hmm. not to cancel. Mm-hmm. So it's, But it would be a good time if you're thinking, oh, man, I should have canceled that. I should cancel it before they charge me for another month. Uh, if there was content on there, you're like, oh, yeah, right. I did like that show. And then you stay. Like in theory, what they could do is that when they show off the iPhone, they're like the first episodes are available today, and it would give them that time, right? Like, and then they can say, like, here's the thing, go get it, uh, yeah. because it will line up because everybody's trials didn't start until November. That's right. So. You're not getting a free trial next year, folks. No. Well, probably not. Probably not. Maybe first time customers, but I doubt. Maybe it. I doubt it. All right, that is it for hashtag Ask Upgrade. So now we're gonna talk about Die Hard in a mic at the movie segment. But before we do that, I want to thank our final sponsor of this episode, and that is FreshBooks. If you ever send invoices to anybody, if you ever track expenses, if you ever need to get paid online by your clients, you should be looking at FreshBooks because they have built the tools, the services, the features to drastically reduce the time it takes for you to get all that stuff done, to drastically reduce the frustration, to drastically reduce all of the chasing 
That is what I love about FreshBooks. They have super simple cloud accounting software that will make it so easy for you to do all of these tasks. You can very easily automate late payment email reminders so you don't need to spend any time chasing payments because that's just one of the wonderful things that FreshBooks does. So every time you send out an invoice, you can say, hey, after this period of time, just send that person a reminder so then you don't have to. And you also never need to chase your clients down to see if they've opened your invoice because you can see it right there. You can see whether they've seen it. You can see whether they've come back to it. It's so, so simple. I also love that with FreshBooks, you can save all of your line items and stuff. So it's really, really easy with just a couple of key clicks, honestly, that you can get an invoice sent out. You can also um, automate uh, invoices to just go out like if you're billing somebody the same amount every month you can just set it up so it recurs all of this stuff and so much more can be yours if you go sign up for fresh books and they're doing a 30-day free trial for this this show just go to freshbooks.com upgrade there's no credit card required to sign up and when you do sign up say how did you when they say how did you hear about us say on the upgrade podcast that's 30 days free trial no credit card required at freshbooks.com slash Upgrade our thanks to FreshBooks for their support of this show and Relay FM. Time for Mike at the Movies, Die Hard. We're starting the holiday season off right, Jason Snell. We're a month away from Christmas, so what better time to talk about the classic Christmas movie, Die Hard. So, Jason, what makes Die Hard a Christmas movie? <laughs> well, the number one thing is probably that people like to annoy other people by calling it a Christmas movie yes. when it is, in fact, an action movie. Um, but it is set on Christmas Eve and the soundtrack is heavy with Christmas music, uh, a Christmas party factors in, mm-hmm. a, uh, Santa hat and the phrase ho, ho, ho mm-hmm. factors in. The phrase is actually, I have, I, now I have a machine gun, ho, 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 but you know, the, the, the sentiment is there and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think, I think it's one of those things where is it a Christmas movie in terms of content? No, but it is an action movie with Christmas trappings that is a beloved movie that is fun to watch, fun to rewatch, and Christmas, especially if you don't like a lot of the Christmas canon, um, it can you can bring this into your personal Christmas canon and watch it at the holidays and uh, see John McClane kill a bunch of terrorists. It is or not our, terrorists. It is in not the actually terrorists. Christmas canon. It is a yeah. movie we watch every year at Christmas, because honestly, like we had no qualms about Home Alone being a Christmas movie last year, and Home Alone is as violent as Die Hard in many ways. There's a lot of similarities, including broken glass and feet uh, falling off high places. It's all in there, you know. Um, but it's just because it's set at Christmas. That's what makes it a Christmas yeah. movie. Uh, this yeah. is also the maybe only time or the rare uh, time where we have both seen and loved this movie, but I talked yeah. about it on Mike at the Movies. Um, one of my f- most fond feelings, memories towards this movie is the coloring of this movie. It's also beautiful, the way everything is colored, you know, like just the general like hues of this film. I enjoy very much. You know, like yeah. Especially the beginning. It's all kind of like sunset-y and everything's red. And right, pink right. And- because he's uh, he's landed in L.A. and mm-hmm. they're doing their Christmas party on what appears to be, I mean, they didn't do an early release for Christmas, 
Eve, which is kind of jerky, but they did do a lavish Christmas party. Most company Christmas parties aren't done on Christmas Eve. That is a little bit of a stretch. Maybe yeah, in the eighties. That was they, that was a little uh, mean, I think, to everybody. But it is, you know, families. But and it stuff. is December twenty fourth in Los Angeles, which means that that sunset that probably is like a four o'clock Christmas party, four thirty, five o'clock. It's well, it's not that makes sense, a nine though. p.m. Christmas party. That makes it's a sense because uh, Holly's still working, right? Yes. And when the party's going on, and they're like, so really, it may have just well, there's been. A lot of, there's a the, question of of whether whether uh, Nakatomi. Uh, is a bad boss is a bad company to work mm-hmm. for mr mr takagi seems very nice but at the same time they're making you stay and work on christmas eve instead of just sending you home well um, they did say as well there was a big deal done that day right so maybe really so they're the, just celebrating the big deal it, it's like a combination thing where they're like yeah. we're just going to bring in stuff and have it be the, the holiday party is now going to be even more lavish and then you and then you go home right then you get your christmas bonus and you go home and it's all going to be over by about six and then you can go back to your families unfortunately surprise christmas terrorism <laughs> that's a reference <laughs> but yes so there was i'll, I'll explain this there, there was a on the low definition on the incomparable game show we did a, a round that was uh it's called Love's a Strange Place, and the idea there is what do American movie titles get translated into in other languages? Because they're not often they're often not direct translations. And I think the Swedish title of Die Hard is Action Skyscraper. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we all had to come up with guesses about what a, a good mistranslated or weirdly translated title was. And I think my favorite might have been Surprise Christmas Terrorism, <laughs> although Lonely Christmas Cop is also a good one. <laughs> Uh, so this movie, I mean, I don't even really know how to describe it. It's just, you know, it's like the the man pushed too far type idea, right? Like, yeah, uh, this Bruce is... Willis's character plays a, a New York cop who his yeah. wife is. Uh, they're currently separated. He's, he's separated from his wife, and Holly. he's flown to L.A for this like will she but they both go through at the beginning which i think is interesting a will will she invite him will he accept to stay in the guest bedroom of where she's living with their kids mm-hmm. um but he's he, he's got a pretense of staying with someone else but she's already told the the nanny to make up the the spare room for him and so they're they're in that a precarious situation where they've separated but he's coming out to visit and there's a real question about like are they gonna reconcile are they going to have it out and be done what what exactly is going to go on and it's hovering in the air uh as uh the you know the the bullets start flying and I love the whole 80s vibe of this movie. I love the way the Nakatomi offices look. Yeah. Uh, I love the touchscreen company directory. That's a very oh, fun yeah. scene because, like, you know, it's like, no way, no way is there a touchscreen. And I was like, I don't know. I think there was, like, yeah. some some weird rubbish touchscreens. But that was clearly yeah, a non-working touchscreen because when you watch that scene, every time... Uh, Bruce Willis presses a key. The like his body kind of moves a little bit. Like ah. it's it's very funny. Like I was just kind of just was paying notice that you could see him kind of like flashing a little bit as they're stopping and bringing up a new screen. That was totally the kind of um, weird, uh, expensive, and not necessary tech that you would have seen in the late eighties. Yep. 
uh, where you're putting your finger on a on a CRT mm-hmm. and it's able with these giant buttons and you're able to to do that rather than having a, a directory book or something. They've just got this electronic directory running on a PC with a touchscreen. Similar technology to the Kindle touchscreen. Yeah, I I don't I don't know what I that know whether that works, was optical like, or what yeah. it was, but yeah, they they definitely those kind of things existed. And of course, it serves a a uh, character point, right? Because he looks her up under his name and she's not listed, mm-hmm. and then he looks her up under her maiden name and she is. And this is how he finds out that she's going by Holly Gennaro and not Holly McLean, which is a super important character and plot point later, which is a little bit of economy that I like in this screenplay. That it's it's saying something about the precariousness of their relationship while also leading to the point where there's confusion about. Once his once his identity comes out to Hans and his gang, they don't immediately connect her to yep. him, which is important for uh, to plug a plot hole. So it's uh it's good, it's good. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things where I could imagine that being put in after the first kind of reading or whatever, you know, where it's like, yeah, well, but if we call if she's Holly McLean and her name's on a door somewhere, or yeah. like they're gonna work this out. And it's like, oh, well, what we can, you know, it's like a clever way of doing it. I like Could that. Could be. Uh, which is, reminds me, like, kind of like just the, the identity thing. One of my favorite funny parts of this movie, I'm jumping way ahead now, is when um, McLean, like John McLean's talking to the policeman, Al, and they're yeah. just having all these conversations on the public, like, radio, and that like, you know that, like, the terrorists are all listening to, like, their heartfelt and like communication that you know like, i was saying like i shot a kid right like it does the whole yeah. thing and it's just like they just like letting it happen which i think is kind of funny most of the time so i'll like, oh, just let those two do what they're doing we've, but we've it, got it, missiles to, to set up but they also have like they're they are speaking in code right like throughout yes. they they are limited in what they know that it's an open channel so even though they can share feelings on an open channel you can't, there's something there. You can't yeah. encode your feelings on an open channel, encode. something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they they do, you know, it's like if you are who I think you are. When and he's you lighting know, up the building, and, like you know we're in a problem situation yeah. right and, now. And although he's grunting and groaning as he's removing glass from his feet, <sighs> he's not saying, oh, I'm really injured and I can't walk because that would be, that would be giving them information that that he doesn't he doesn't want to give them. So they kind of they they have that kind of double talk. It's a good it's it's great because they only you know Bruce Willis and Reginald Vel, Vel Johnson are only in one scene together at the very end. That's it. Like that's the whole. The, the, otherwise, they're just. It actually reminds me a lot of um, one of my favorites, Star Trek Two, uh, in two ways. One is that those two characters are only on on screen together in the one scene, like how Kirk and Khan are never on the same set together. But it's also like the conversation between Kirk and Spock where they're speaking in code and it's like, they know what they're communicating, but they know that they're listening to them. So they, it's a, it's a nice, uh, any movie that reminds me of Star Trek two is uh, also made in the eighties. So it's got a lot of things going for it. This, uh, this movie features one of my least favorite, uh, corporate lines. Uh, which is when uh, so Holly and and John are in the bathroom, right? And they're they're talking like he's washing up or whatever. And uh, the uh, Holly's assistant comes in, and says like, "Mister, what's the what's the guy's name? Is it Mister? Nak- no, it's not Mister Nakatomi. Takagi. Takagi. Want, Takagi. He wants you to say something to the troops. Yeah, about like giving a speech. I hate like com- people in companies being referred to as troops." Don't yeah. like that. Yeah, and Don't it like totally that. happens. You know, um, uh, we watched this with Julian, and he uh, he 
snorted at that line. He's like, troops, troops. And I said, yeah, that's a, that's a corporate thing. But he was, he was rolling his eyes at it too. And yeah, that's totally, which is worse. The, uh, all the employees were a family or you're my attack troops. Troops They're both pretty bad. I think troops is worse because family, whilst also terrible, but it's a lie. That's the thing; is it's a lie. Well, but troops is a lie too. But like, that's true. There is at least with family, there is something warm in that, and like troops is like you're in the army now. (laughs) Yeah, congratulations. We're fighting everybody. Yeah, and Ellis as a character, right? The Weasley co-worker oh he he uh he's the worst right because he he embodies every 80s yuppie archetype right Mm -hmm. down to his uh multiple instances of uh snorting cocaine um and thinking he can make the best deal with the terrorists which doesn't go well for him um it's uh, a statement (laughs) yeah it doesn't that's that's actually a legitimately great scene because Uh, you can you're reading it on the multiple levels of of Hans Gruber, uh, trying to glean information from this guy, and he's also trying to glean information about the relationship that this guy has with McLean. McLean knows exactly what is happening, and Ellis is completely oblivious and thinks that he can convince he's a great salesman. He convince anybody of anything, and of course, in the end, Ellis is dead at uh, the shot by Gruber. So it doesn't work out for him. We should you've mentioned Hans Gruber. How just just fantastic! Alan Rickman is so Alan good Rickman. in this movie. Yep. I mean, I, I there I I, well, I, I do love uh, anything to do with Alan Rickman speaking in this movie is fun for me because it's like at the very beginning of the movie he pretends to have a slight German accent. Yes, but it is gone very very quickly. Well, it's it's. It's always a little tiny bit German, I would say, nah. but very, very nah. little. <laughs> I mean, very slight. But, but it, it is, it is, it is there. Um, I like how wacky this character is yes. too. He doesn't get enough credit for being wacky. The whole like I read about him in Time magazine or whatever yeah, about the Asian that's Dawn such a good line. and and our and the fact that he is the whole time he is pretending to be a uh, a left wing terrorist, but in fact is just a just a robber he's just stealing money because the terrorism is thing is excellent what is it you are a petty thief i'm not a petty thief i'm an excellent thief yeah right, right? but yeah. he but it's the wacky i must have missed 60 minutes right there's all these kind of just uh he has a sense of humor and of course then he pretends to be a scared american who works in the building briefly mm-hmm. and that's oh, really Carl. funny and yeah. the accent is so terrible i love it i love how bad the accent is like it's so perfect for what's happening in that moment. Like, yeah. Bill, I, I love Bill Clay. That that's Bill it. Because Clay, he's smart that's enough. It, that's Clay. another example too, where he's smart enough to have figured out that he needs to pose as somebody in case this happens. Mm-hmm. And it does. And then he has a name ready to go, which is like how smart Hans Gruber is. But of course it's not enough to fool Bruce Willis. He's already, uh, he, he, he's got enough clues there to know that it's not, that he's, he's actually a cop, you know, yeah. no one can fool yeah. mega cop. Yeah, he's got he's he's got clues, right? This is this is why this movie is so good, and um, I'm sure there are other movies before it that are similar. But it, it says something that there's so many movies after that are literally just diehard in what blank because it's the mm-hmm. idea of like you take a hero and you close them off from the rest of the world so that they don't have the resources to uh, do this. They have to do it by themselves because we live in a big connected world, and you can't, you know, most most 
movies, that's going to be the plot hole, right? Is, well, why didn't they call for help? Like, that's a friend of mine, their review of Iron Man 3 is, well, why didn't he call the Avengers? It's like, okay, well, they were busy. Uh, but it, here, so you close him off, and he doesn't even have shoes, and he's got his one gun, and there's he's way outnumbered, but he has his skills, and then he kind of, like, keeps working the problem. It's so It's so great. Uh, and the fact that the although many of the henchmen are are lackeys and uh, not very bright, uh, his primary opponent is very smart, mm-hmm. and they keep matching wits. And as the situation keeps escalating, you know the movie holds back enough that you always are thinking that um, Hans Gruber is going to have another card to play, and he keeps. So like the the cops show up and the, and you're like aha now we're getting somewhere and he he's like good I needed them to show up and you're like yeah. what and what I really need is is <laughs> cop level two I need the FBI I need I the FBI to the be cops. here yeah yeah which is which is very good all you part of the plan the barefoot like that is so iconic right like barefoot vest wearing like that look is so iconic to this movie <laughs> yeah. and I love the he's, fact that he doesn't desperate. have his shoes on yeah. No, he's desperate. It's it's actually one of the reasons I love Indiana Jones is that he gets beat up and he makes mistakes and he, sh- he he's taken damage. He gets both of them, you know, they get shot at one point in their movies uh, and they just got to keep keep doing it. And that what works about Indiana Jones, he's vulnerable. Um, he's just trying really hard. You can see him exerting huge amounts of effort. And I mean, Die Hard is, it, it takes that to extremes, right? Like he's bloody, he's beaten. He's, he, at several points, he's like, he, he's, pr- first off, he's confronted with a situation. He's like, oh, no way. This is ridiculous. And then as he's doing stuff that's ridiculous, he's like screaming and growling and being like, ah, like he's not having a good time. He's not a robot. He's not a Terminator, right? He's just this this guy who has to survive, and that gets you on his, on his side, and it makes you root for him. It's just, it's really good. How many times do you think Bruce Willis stubbed his toe during the film and in this movie? <laughs> I was thinking of that when I was watching this last night. Oh, God. This must have been grueling for him to film for that reason, right? Because like, he's in bare feet all the time? He's bare feet all the time. Like, just running up the metal staircase Yeah, must have hurt so bad because yeah. it's that metal that's got those little indentations in it right uh-huh like just all of that stuff and like they're building a film set he must have stepped on so many things like he must have legitimately hurt himself like and it's not like serious stuff but like at a point where there must have been times when filming this movie when he must have been very unhappy right because it's like that is not a nice way to work right like in those circumstances you have no shoes no socks He's just running around with his bare feet. Like, must have been pretty difficult to film this one, I think. Like, probably quite a bit of method acting going on there. It's glass yeah. everywhere, you know? Kind of been nice. Stepping on Lego, I'm sure, at some point. Sure. That's, keep that that's, a great, that's a great part, right? When it's shooting out the glass. Which I I can't imagine that any more bullets have ever been shot in a scene in a movie than the shoot the yeah. glass scene. But isn't that, isn't that good? And that is it's another one of those things where it's like, Hans Gruber is smart and and he's a he's dangerous. He's a dangerous opponent for John McClane because he has good ideas that he expresses in movie German and then translates immediately into English so the audience can understand it. I don't understand that part. Like why couldn't yeah, the German guy understand the German? Maybe there's no it, German well, they're, word for they're shoot European, the glass. European, so maybe he couldn't remember if uh if he spoke German or he only spoke mm-hmm. Swedish or something like that, so then he switches to English. It's so very funny that it. part. It's funny that part. But it is Shoot good though, the glass. right? And I also like that whilst it's happening, like McLean is like freaking out. It's like so it's too much, right? Like I like it. Yeah. Like he even indicates so, like these are too many bullets. 
Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention something which is very uh, late eighties, early nineties. Uh, Hans Gruber is using a Filofax mm. at one point. Yeah, stay away. Very nineties thing. Yeah, he's, he's a very, <laughs> a very organized uh, robber, right? Mm-hmm. That's why he's so good at <laughs> the it. Most organized crime. Uh, I love ha- the disdain for the FBI and their rules. Everyone's so mad that the FBI has a process. Right, where it's like, oh, they're doing it by the terrorist playbook. It's like, yeah, they probably should, though. Right, like, there's yeah. got to be a process. Come on, right, right. and that—that's—I mean, that's the beauty of the plan, right? Is that Gruber knows the process, knows the and so he knows yeah. if I say that I'm a terrorist, the FBI is going to come. They're going to do the terrorist playbook. That includes cutting the power and all these things. And it's like that's what I want. Mm-hmm. I want the playbook. Although the FBI are not portrayed very. Well, in this movie, right? When they're in the helicopter and it's like, oh, we'll probably lose 25% of the hostages. Ah, it seems like a success. Law enforcement is not portrayed because there's Dwayne Johnson, who is, or Dwayne Johnson? Dwayne something. Yeah, the, the, the rock. The lieutenant, the lieutenant, because it's Johnson and Johnson are the agents, no relation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but Dwayne T. T Robinson. whatever. Robinson, right. He is, um, he is, a, he is a, a, a jerk and, and it's very much like we're, we're rooting for Al, but then this guy takes over and he's a he's a stuffed shirt. He's like, oh, we're gonna do it my way. And they he has his guys go in and they're doing you know they're they're doing it badly. And they send send in the car, send in the car. I love that. And they fire the the missiles at it. It's uh-huh. amazing. And then the FBI guys come and if I have a, a criticism of the movie is while it is uh, yeah they're they're a little they're so broad. The FBI guys are so broad, but you know. You're at that point. It's funny because in this movie, you're rooting for John McClane, but against the FBI and the LAPD jerks, you're kind of rooting for Hans Gruber, right? You're kind of yes. like, oh, he's smarter than them. Like you don't want Hans Gruber to win because you want McClane to win. But when the cops come, they're so bad, uh, and and it makes you want to see them fail just because they're bad at their jobs. It's a weird line to walk where you actually kind of want the the good side uh, yeah, to fail like or at least see how they're going to fail. A period of time, the FBI is more of a villain in this movie yes. than the villain in this movie. Yeah, because they're going to get people killed and John McClane's not going to let them. So yes, at one point, John McClane has to save people, save the hostages from the FBI. Because, and it is, you know, technically it's he's saving them from the terrorists or the robbers because they've wired the building with C4, but it's an action that's precipitated by the FBI. And then the FBI try to shoot Bruce Willis because he's trying to scare the people off the roof, which he succeeds at doing. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, All I can say about the FBI guys is they're, they're comic relief, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like they're in it to blunder and have wacky dialogue. And they're like, an important uh, part of the plan, the plot, right? Like, Yeah, sure. And then you, you get know. that moment where, where uh, was it Robert Davi is like, uh, this is like Saigon and the other guy, his response, I won't repeat, but his response is basically like, how old do you think I am? I wasn't in Vietnam. What yeah. are you talking about? And then it's all really there so that when they uh, blow up in the explosion and their helicopter crashes that uh, Dwayne T. Robinson can say, <laughs> Uh, we're gonna need some more FBI guys, I guess. Which is a horrible <laughs> line, right? It's so mean. Ooh. And then as yeah. another villain we haven't even spoken about yet, Richard Thornburg. The, the 
Oh the, yeah, the, that, the, that's the, right. The, the uh, news guy who upsets everybody. That's right. Gets clocked in the uh, face. That is so. I mean, that is how you know that you are in an eighties movie. Um, is, is it Richard Thornburg's it, in it? <laughs> well, well, I mean, it, it's it's that uh, William that, Atherton. Sorry, William, William Atherton. Atherton. Yep. If you can get William Atherton as a villain in your movie, you are doing great because he is the villain. Ghostbusters, real genius. In, Ghostbusters and real genius are the two best examples of that. But he's also great in this. He's just awful. And here he, it's like who's who's the true villain? The the terrorist robbers with the C4 who are killing people and blowing things up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. They're the true villain. But the TV news guy, he's pretty bad too. Um, it's just kind of funny, like the imbalance there. And and it's like, do they need the social satire of the TV news guy and the two anchors and the guy who gets where Helsinki is wrong and he insults him before he goes on the air and then they have to tell him he's on the air and like, do they do they need that part of the movie other than for the plot point where it's revealed that the kids are there and it leads Alan Rickman to realize that Holly is John's wife? Like, it's not a lot of the stuff with with uh, uh William Atherton is not necessary but it's great it's it adds it a lot of flavor a, and color like to the, to the movie like there are a million ways that they could have had them find out about the uh about them being married but the fact that it was for thought of nobody inside of the building is a good thing i think like that it's an external force and not to get too highfalutin here, but I think that one of the things that this movie is about is about isolation. Um, and it's not just about putting John McClane on his own in the building, but I would say it's about the fact that there's no one that he or Al can rely on because nobody's listening to them. And no, they know, but uh, they are forced to go on their own because nobody else will help. And the media revealing information like that i feel like is just yet another layer on top about how you are you are not going to get help from the outside world they are they are only going to be a hindrance the fbi guys the tv news the lapd they are all against you not because they hate you but because they aren't interested in listening uh to to what you need they just are going to do their own thing so it's even more isolating yep. for john and al to have have that extra, so the media is just another layer of not helping. Oh, this is a like also exemplified by the uh, police dispatchers who pick up the radio signal earlier on in the yeah. movie. Oh yeah, isn't that great? Are you familiar with the phrase "jobs worth"? No. So it's a British phrase, and uh, I would the definition from uh, the dictionary is the best way to describe this. A job's worth, that is one word, the word worth, W-O-R-T-H, added to jobs. Uh, an official who upholds petty rules even at the expense of humanity or common sense. Yep, and that, that it's, a, it's a 911 dispatcher who gets a call saying people are being shot. First off, in modern America, uh, people being shot in an office building would not be viewed that was a moment where i was like oh yeah 1988 you'd you'd be like oh this seems like a prank call and today you'd be like oh people being shot in an office building yeah that happens all the time right Mm -hmm. uh but her she's so passive aggressive about it like she doesn't even want to alert a a single car she has to work up to alerting a single car patrol car to go check it out to so be the, driven because by he is Al, using who, a private call line or whatever, which if he knows it and knows how to access it, could indicate something. Oh, 
It's a, I don't great, know. It's a that's, great moment. But you're right. Yes, that, so that's again, again, kind of. I mean, it's good because it's us. It's it's me against the world, and I'm alone, and nothing is helping, and it just keeps getting reinforced. Right? Like Die Hard isn't just about his isolation. <laughs> wow, I'm gonna blow your mind. No, this is too much. Uh, uh, it's not just about his isolation in the building. It's about his isolation in society and Damn. in the world. Right? He's separated from his wife. He, the the authorities can't help him other than Al, who ha- is himself an isolated man. Like, and you could argue that that Hans Gruber is isolated too, and he's playing the other side of the chessboard there. But like this movie, if you watch it closely, it is really isolating John McClane. He is on an island in the middle of a lake on the island where there's another little island. Like he is mm-hmm. all the way by himself as by himself as he could be. So what you mean is perfect Christmas movie. It it is what could be better. <laughs> I love ho, this ho, movie. Ho, now I have a machine gun. Genuinely excellent. One of the all time great action movies, and it is just a fantastic movie to have a reason to watch every year. Which is one of the reasons why I and many others consider Die Hard a Christmas movie because it gives us that excuse to watch Die Hard. Yeah. Die Hard Two, I also really enjoy it, and that's kind it is of a good movie. the limit that I go to with Die yes, Hard. Yes, we just did a sequels draft on The Incomparable, and one of the ones that I mentioned was you can just after Die Hard 2, just stop, that's mm-hmm. no more Die Hards after that. Um, uh, you mentioned in our notes here, like the classic scene where... Uh, where Hans Gruber falls out of the window at the end, where it's it's actually, if you watch, it's it's amazing. There is this line of dialogue early in the movie, right when John gets to the tower, where they're talking about how she's got her new watch that she should show John, and it's a yep. Rolex and all of that. And it's only there so that at the end, they have her watch, which he's grabbing onto, and they undo it, and he falls he to falls. his death. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why it's there. It's just in there to, to hang a lantern on. Holly has a watch, which is If anything, necessary. the only thing that could have made that moment better is if Hans Gruber had given her that watch. Oh. <laughs> but but uh, for those who don't know the trivia, it, it is an amazing moment. They shot, they shot it in... Uh, the the shot from above looking down at Alan Rickman as he's falling. Obviously he's he's in front of a green screen and there's a there's a, a pillow at the bottom, but he's dropping far enough that you can see him fall away. And they shot that scene in slow motion. And um I'll come back to it in a second because then it cuts to a person falling and flailing uh, against the side of a building. And I believe that may still be the record for the longest fall for a by a stunt person in a movie oh my god um because that they they actually did a person for like not that i don't know how many stories it actually was that they shot it at and and, and it's, there's movie magic there but but like that is a person flailing and falling into a gigantic air mattress thing with i don't even know what how many um but it, that's so that's a true story that was like a record-setting stunt fall but the alan rickman face is so amazing when he mm-hmm. starts to fall to his death and the story behind it, and I don't know if this is apocryphal, I think it's real, is that um, they said, okay, Alan, we're going to drop you on three. One, two, and they dropped him. Oh. And that's why he looks so surprised. <laughs> because that's perfect, they dropped though, him. right? They dropped him before they said they were going to drop him. And uh, it gives you that extra moment of like, wah! And uh, in slow motion, especially... You know, acting, there's some things with acting, I think, that you can get away with in, in full speed. But in slow motion, you really are you analyzing everything. every single yeah. tiny moment. So you want it to be fully on. And it's a, such a great moment to cap it off. And we haven't even mentioned Argyle, oh, the limo Argyle. driver. 
which who who d- only factors into the plot very tangentially at the end when he runs his car into the van that has uh, Theo in it, the safecracker, who, by the way, I think is the only person who survives from the whole terrorist group, assuming he doesn't die by having his car run into in the garage by Argyle. I think he might be the only terrorist oh, yeah. robber guy in the in the party who who survives it. Um, maybe not. Somebody can do the math about about who, who where they all die. I'm sure somebody has has done that, but I think he might arguably still be alive. But Argyle is great as comic relief because, and, and honestly, I talk about Argyle. It's really a double act, right? It's Argyle and the giant stuffed bear that's in the back of the limo, and the way they frame it, where it's like Argyle's there and the bear is in the in the rearview mirror. And because McLean brought the bear for his daughter, um, and it, it it's funny that the bear is always in the background. And then finally, there's that shot where Argyle looks at the bear in the mirror and is like, "Shut up," <laughs> or whatever. It's like the, the bear is judging you, Argyle, as you sit there locked in the in the bottom of the building. Um, I just I love it. Again, is Argyle's presence in the movie necessary? No, but it's great. Wonderful movie. Yeah. Big fan. Uh, yeah. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Upgrade. If you'd like to find our show notes for this week, go to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 273. Uh, thanks to Smile, Linode, Moo, and FreshBooks for the support of this show. You can find Jason online at sixcolors.com, theincomparable.com, and he's at jsnell on Twitter. I'm at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. We both host many shows here at Relay FM. You go to relay.fm slash shows and probably find something new. Uh, you're looking for a new podcast in your life uh, we'll be back next time thanks so much for listening until then say goodbye Jason Snow uh, ho 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 now I have a machine gun <laughs> <laughs>